0: And welcome to Tater's Life. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Mel, and we met on the Channel 4 Production Training Scheme. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that she has type 1, how it's affected her eating, and roller derby. Now, before I met Mel, I didn't have a clue what roller derby was, too, and I'm sure you're asking yourself the same question. So let's ask Mel what roller derby is and how she is today. So hello, Mel, and welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> very, very Welcome. Mel, well, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. We get on like a house on fire, so I'm sure this is going to be a cracking
1: episode. I'm excited to be here, um, especially because I get to talk about Rhoda derby as well. It's not very often I get to talk about it, so... <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you like to start off by telling me your hobbies then, Mel?
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, obviously the main one is Rhoda derby, and I also love poetry, and... And reading um, Obviously reading Is part of the poetry thing uh, I love fiction Non-fiction I'm, I can read I'll read anything I can get my hands on To be honest But yeah But roller derby Is probably the The more physical Of hobbies I think it's always One that people are shocked When I'm, I'm like Yeah yeah I play roller derby And they're like Hang on you what now Yeah
0: <laughs> It's such like A full on sport But I do want to know What book are you reading On at the moment And would you recommend it
1: Um, oh, So what book am I So I've literally uh, Just finished Rereading The Gargoyle By Andrew Davidson it's one of my favorite books it's more like a comfort book really so like when I'm getting a little stressed or if um you know things have just been a bit full on I just like to delve back into that and that's kind of like a fantasy romance uh it, it's a great book I'd recommend it to anybody um very like Garazade type stories and like there's stories within stories within stories there's lots of different cultures uh lots of different elements to the to the book and it's also got some stone carvings and gargoyles in it as well so yeah it's um it's, it's pretty good yeah
0: That sounds fab. I might have to get a copy for myself, Mel. Now, let's chat about roller derby. When did you get into it? First and foremost, what is it? And yeah, just tell me a bit about your
1: experiences. So roller derby is a full contact sport on roller skates. So like the ones with four wheels, not inline skates. I started skating about six, seven years ago. I got bought a pair of skates for Christmas um and like i just wanted to like you know be like a little skater or like you know roller discos that type of thing and then i was like looking through youtube and roller derby came up and i was like oh what's this and like the more i watched the youtube videos i was like this looks absolutely wild and i want in so (laughs) i i googled my local team which happened to be bridge and roller derby at the time and i joined their learn to skate Uh, which was like a six-week course that I did, like kind of gets you up on your feet and make sure that you're safe to skate and whatnot. And it just, it's just absolutely snowballed from there. I can't imagine not doing it now. Um, I currently play for South Wales, Siliers or SUS as we're known, which is um, a mixed gender team. Um, so they don't have a gender policy. We're under the MRDA, which is the Men's Roller Derby Association. So we've currently got, we've got a couple of tournaments coming up. But yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's probably one of the best teams I've played on. Um, really, oh, they really look after me there. Honestly, it's just like being at home with the family. In terms yeah, of like hard. gender,
0: is it a 50-50 split or is it more male dominant?
1: Uh, it is more male dominant in the MRDA. However, that doesn't mean that just because you you're a woman, you can't you can't skate um on the team. You know, they they've got an open gender policy, they're really, really welcoming. Um, you know, we've got we also have a junior team as well. So, um, which I coach, which is fab, the the skate the, the kids are absolutely fearless. Um <laughs> so I think, but it is it is generally you don't get a lot of some some teams have more um like feet, women presenting players or um and some will have non-binary players as well or male presenting or male identifying um, it's a very fluid uh, gender uh, roles really within roller derby which is probably why i love it so much because you it's probably the one place where i feel like i am treated equally
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, It sounds really, really inclusive, and places need to be inclusive, especially in sport. Also, I want to chat a little bit how we met. So we met through the Channel Four production training scheme. Mm -hmm. We both live down the same neck of the woods. You might be able to tell by the accent. you have you always lived down cardiff way
1: yes i was a cardiff born and bred uh living i grew up in splot or splow as we call it Splow (laughs) darling um (laughs) which uh yeah so i come from a working class background grew up in a working class area and then my parents we moved to lanishon uh as i got older and then my parents moved up to merthyr and i followed them up not long after um and i've lived in quite a lot of different valleys uh, just spent the last like six years in Abervale um, and I've just moved back down to Mirtha, Mirth uh, Tidville. So, yeah, it's uh, but the communities are great in, in all the Welsh Valley. So no, that's know, a
0: that is so true. And that's something that I would stand by. Everybody knows yeah. everybody in a valley. And I don't know whether yeah. that's a good thing or not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> This sense of community is definitely there, and now that we know a little bit about your roller derby experience, were you playing roller derby when you first got diagnosed with type one diabetes?
1: Yeah, so I think that was probably like out of all the things I worried about initially when I first got diagnosed was uh, when when will I be able to skate again? Will I be able to skate again? Because uh, it was uh the, the whole diagnosis was a massive shock, and I had played for I played for three three to four years uh before so I'm coming up to four years diagnosed so yeah so I've been playing roller derby for like three three and a half years when I got diagnosed so what was so, your diagnosis process what happened it, it was very traumatic I say uh because I'm like yeah it was it was probably one of the traumatic stories you hear about diagnosis um there's no history of diabetes in my family actually um not even type 2 uh, there is type 2 uh, on one side of the family, but we're not related by blood, so it kind of like didn't doesn't count in terms of medical things. And yeah, it was it came on in the space of like two weeks, uh, which is usually how type one does come on. Um, type two is 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 a little bit different, and there are other types of diabetes, but um, which I can like kind of I can send you some links to pop in the podcast about those. But type one is yeah, so it came on in the space of two weeks, and I basically lost a, a stone and a half in two weeks um was really tired like and i mean exhausted like i was going to uni um because i was doing my teaching degree i just started my teaching degree at the time and my masters uh so i was kind of going to uni for like 3 to 4 hours a day and having to excuse myself because i was so tired and then i was coming home sleeping for like 5 hours and then i'd get up make dinner for me and my ex my ex well, my partner at the time my ex now, um, make us dinner, and then I would just sleep again until about eleven o'clock. Then I'd get up, let the dog out, and then go back to bed for eight hours. And I would still wake up exhausted. Um, in between that, I was going to the toilet all the time. Like I was, and I was drinking a lot of water. So I like not just water, like basically any liquid I could get my hands on. And it, it would be like I think I remember the one day, um, I think I drank like three liters of water, like in one sitting. Um, because I was just like I felt like I I could I was just couldn't quench my thirst, um, and it got to the point where like people were like like did did I not just get you a drink? I'm like yeah, but I drank it like I, I'm dying of thirst. Like I feel like I'm dying, of like I'm just I can't get enough. Um, and I did actually go to the GP uh to say look I'm a bit concerned about these symptoms but because I've got uh OCPD I- I'm highly stressed a lot of the time anyway and I've got I'm, a- I'm anxious or well, not so much now but at the time I was very anxious so the doctor was like you know it could be stress which you know you, you do listen to GP and you think yeah yeah okay yeah it, it probably is stress you know I'm-, I'm I am a stressed person um but then a week after seeing the GP I was in A&E uh and then Within 10 minutes of me being in A&E, basically I'd started throwing up at four o'clock in the evening on a Tuesday. I was still being sick, still vomiting at four o'clock in the morning. Um, At this point I had a raging temperature. I was like hallucinating, delirious. Uh, So I called my mum to come and take me to the hospital. Um, Within 10 minutes of me being in A&E, I'd been rushed into recess. Um, And then I just passed out and don't remember anything. Um, And woke up to... Uh, like loads of equipment being like in me, and then then being like, you have got type one diabetes. Does it
0: normally take something so extreme to happen for you for people to be diagnosed? Like, does it have to? Because every person I've talked to, they've had something happen that's pretty extreme before they get diagnosed. It,
1: yeah, in, in children, it's not so. Co- it, it, well, that it is and it isn't so. With some, some children, it depends on the knowledge of the doctors as well, actually. So, and, and how the child or the adult is presenting. It's more common to be diagnosed as a child. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 29. So it was a big shock, like when they took me into hospital and um, the consultant had actually asked me, like, are you, are, you, are you sure you've never been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes before? And I was like, no, definitely. And my mum was like, yep, she's never, there's no history of it in the family. Um, but usually that's why they the four t's tired thinner toilet thirsty um so the four t's they say what to look out for so obviously in children parents are looking out for those things a lot more but in adults they can be attributed to so many different things that but and then by the point I was as sick as I was, I'd, I'd had uh, ketones, which are really dangerous when you've got type one diabetes because your body doesn't produce any insulin to get rid of those ketones, and ketones will slowly turn your blood to acids, and you get what's called diabetic ketoacidosis, and then all your organs start shutting down, and it's bye bye basically. Oh my!
0: Um, God. That honestly it- sounds awful.
1: It was pretty. It was pretty traumatic, and I think, I think I actually thought when I was passing out on the res- the bed in recess, I thought this is it. Like I'm, I'm gonna die. And my mum was sat across me, and like she looked at, ab- she was, ter- she looked absolutely terrified. I've never seen her look so scared. I was so ill. that I was just like, you know, I don't care, yeah. and I just passed out. Um, there was no fight left in me at that point. I was just like, I'm whatever this is. I'm going. Um, but obviously, luckily, I did wake up. Well, I'm yeah. carried
0: question <laughs> now because can't imagine my life without you. But like, Aww. that must have been so traumatic to go through. And like, I don't, I just don't understand how, like, you know, they didn't pick it up before, but then I do at the same time. But it feels like it could have been prevented because you went to the GP. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something could have happened sooner, but it took. For you to literally be on death's door yeah for it to happen what was the process like once you were in hospital you've in and then what have you what was the process then
1: uh so i was put on what they call a sliding scale so i was administered insulin immediately um because my ketones were like 4.2 um and anything above like three is is danger zone really um So 4.2, my ketones were. And I think my blood sugar was something like 46, which is like a normal range is between five to eight. Um, So, which is why I was losing weight because you get ketones which burn fat. So my body was burning all of the fat it had for energy because it could no longer process the sugar I was eating because my body had just stopped making insulin. Um, So, so which is why I'd lost all the weight. So, did you just... Your
0: body just stop making insulin. Like, were you like ill beforehand for you, like your system to be like weak? Uh,
1: I think I'd been I'd been ill two months prior. I picked up a virus from uh, somewhere. I was working away. I used to work in hospitality, doing like events, outside events and things. So I'd camp in fields, and I picked up a virus and had to go home. And I was actually really poorly then. But up until that point, I'd generally been fit and healthy. Other than like maybe like a little bit of hospitality burnout, but yeah. you know, um, other than that, yeah, I was. I, I considered myself fit and healthy. Um, you know, played a lot of sport, went to the gym, did a lot of weightlifting, all of that kind of stuff. There was nothing to suggest that uh, I was ill otherwise. Um, and yeah, again, because it happened over the space of the two weeks, and I was just losing like pound, pounds and pounds a day. Um, But now I know that is because my body was burning its fat reserves um, because I couldn't process the sugar or the carbohydrates that I was eating. So I was just, which is why I was weeing so much as well, is because you uh, then pass the sugar through your urine. Uh,
0: So I didn't realize that was like how it all sort of worked. And Mm. because it was such a sudden change, how did that affect your mental state and how you went about your days
1: at first i felt like i was being punished for something uh, which i know is like the ocd was like and i think i was more frustrated because i was like i finally got a handle on this like the intrusive thoughts and the obsessive compulsive issues i was dealing with um and finally got to like a stage where i was like yes i've got this i'm managing life and then bam something else happens which is actually life-threatening type 1 diabetes is a life-threatening condition um, you have to fight to keep yourself alive every day um, and it is in your own hands as well um, so I think that I think that was more that was harder to deal with for me than the actual diagnosis was that I was now responsible for keeping myself alive 24 hours a day seven days a week for the rest of my life Um, And they don't sugarcoat it. Like, the language is changing now around the way your diagnosis is presented to you. But it was basically like, if you don't do this, you might die. If you don't do this, you might die. If you do this, you might also die. But if you do this and then don't do this, you might die. So everything was kind of like, it's this or death. And if you don't take your insulin, you'll die. If you take too much insulin, you can die. So it was like... uh, what like hang on what and they i think i was in hospital for a week and then they were like you can go home Uh, and then you go home and you're like what do i do now
0: because you nobody's there to like hold your hand through this process you literally just left to your own devices
1: yeah and i think the one memory i have of coming home was um because they were like yeah you know you can eat you can eat what you want as long as like you you, you take your insulin for it and whatnot. And and I was like, well that that you know, that's really that's that's great. So I went home and I had a Terry's chocolate, like one, just one piece, one piece of Terry's chocolate orange. And my blood sugar shot up to 22 and I was shaking and like I felt sick because my blood sugar was so high. And I was just like, do you know what? This is I can't believe this is going to be like this for the rest of my life. Um thankfully it isn't now. Um but yeah the diagnosis was rough and I think um if I did, ironically, if I didn't have roller derby to keep me focused, I think things would have been a lot worse.
0: Did you go straight back into roller derby or did you ha- take some period off?
1: Uh, I played my first game two weeks after diagnosis.
0: Of course you did, Mel. Why, why <laughs> am I
1: not surprised? Yeah, so that was, but luckily I had a really great teammate on the team who was also type one. Um, which I had no idea about. Um, some people choose to keep the diagnosis very private, um, which is, you know, completely understandable because everybody's different. Um, I'm kind of more of a I kind of went into it kind of gung-ho, thinking like I'm gonna be I'm gonna like be a representative of of diabetes. I'm gonna like try and help other people to think that it's okay to be diabetic and yeah, which is kind of like that, you know, I'm gonna deal with this attitude. Um yeah so like it was great I think if I didn't have roller derby and that attitude going in initially I think things could have been very different for me
0: yeah definitely and it sounded like your mum was like you know a great support throughout it all and things which you know you need in a situation like that and you mentioned about the terry's chocolate orange and how you had one slice and was you know the shaking was that a hypo?
1: So that's a hyper. So uh, Mm -hmm. there's hyperglycemia is when your blood sugar is above the recommended safe level. And with hyperglycemia, you can start developing ketones. So it's when you don't have enough insulin in your body to regulate the sugar that you're consuming. So ketones are the ones they're, they're quite dangerous. So they can that's when if you go above a certain point, you can develop that diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, which means you do need admission into hospital and you do need to be treated by a specialist team for that. Hypoglycemia is usually when so it's it's when your blood sugar drops below a certain safe level. Um, but that can also be brought on by having too much insulin in your body. So it's like a balancing act. So when you first get diagnosed, you have you're told to take like three inject three injections a day when you eat. And then you take a background injection to keep insulin running in the background for you. It's a really hard balance when you first get diagnosed because not everybody eats three times a day or um, the background insulin might be too much one day, not enough the next day. Um, I've now got an insulin pump and a Guardian 4, which uh, interacts with my pump like the best way to describe it is like an AI pancreas so it's an artificially intelligent a piece of equipment that acts as if it is my pancreas
0: so it knows when you need insulin and when um yeah well basically when you need i yourself
1: yeah yeah so it runs in the background 24 hours a day seven days a week it's always attached to me um and i do take it out to go swimming or in the shower and i do take it off to play roller derby because it's a super expensive piece of equipment which i'm very grateful to the nhs for um and it's i've also had to put it on my house insurance because it's that expensive um so it's it's a really vital piece of equipment um that basically acts as, as though I still have to tell it what to, what I'm eating so you have to count so which leads me on to the food issue yeah. um I I have to count every single thing that passes my lips
0: everything
1: um everything including coffee milk like I can't even I can't just have a little bit of a biscuit I've got to make sure I count that bit of biscuit
0: oh my gosh Mel it <laughs> just sounds just awful it just sounds like you're living on a tightrope and you know you can either go off the side, either side. Or you've got this tiny little line that you is called living. It's just yeah. mental. So when you say you have to like, um, and excuse me for not like understanding, no, okay. this, I feel like so stupid. I'm like twenty two, and no, like don't, still don't get it. Like, so what do you have to count? Like, what is it that you're counting?
1: So I count the carbohydrates. So the carbohydrates are the more important things to count. Um, because the carbohydrates turn into sugar. So you count the, so say like you're reading the back of a packet. Um, so I'll use bread as an example. Like a, one white slice of braces bread is 22 grams of carbs. And I have to count. So say I want to eat one piece of toast. I input that 22 grams of carbs into my machine and then it will calculate the, ins- the insulin I need Based on what my blood sugar currently is at that time. Um, but when I was in on injections, I couldn't give myself exact units. So I'd have to give myself two units. And then, because you have to, there's like a, 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 they call it a carb ratio. So for every 10 grams of carbohydrates I eat, I need to take one unit of insulin um, but that can also change depending on the time of day and whether I've done activities or if I've got the insulin left on board. It's yeah, it's, it's quite a complicated thing, but which is why the the technology, the NHS are bringing in is, is so good.
0: So that was like that. I understand that. Like, thank you. So what happened? So before um, before you had your pump and you had to insert it into yourself,
1: mm-hmm. what
0: would happen if you put too much in? insulin in your body
1: i'd have a hypo so my blood sugar would drop okay um below mm-hmm. the safe level and then i would need to consume rapid acting sugar so like jelly babies uh jelly beans um uh, glucose tablets or like dextrose a lot of people know dextrose which are like the a lot of people use them for sports and things um and it that will bring your blood sugar back up rapidly to the safe level um it's just the hypo <laughs> hypoglycemia is um it affects your brain function so your brain your brain is one of the only organs that runs completely on sugar basically it's like a sugar themed. loves it loves sugar it loves glucose um so you get impaired brain function when you have hypoglycemia Um, which can affect your... So for me, when I have hyperglycemia, I tend to go really pale. I start sweating. uh, I slur. My speech gets slurred. um, And sometimes when it's below like 3.2 or something, I can't actually see anymore. Um, So my vision goes completely blurry. And like sometimes it's gone to the point where like like, all I can see is black. Um, And I've got to lie down. Or in some cases, if your blood sugar is so low, you can actually become unconscious. Um, which at that point, you need an emergency injection called glucagon, which is like stabbed into Pulp Fiction style-y. Um It's quite dramatic, but and then you've got to call, got to call an ambulance. Um, but that stimulates your liver to produce emergency sugar. But also, that doesn't work if you've had an alcoholic drink. So, so do you not like,
0: drink alcohol just in, Like, do you consume alcohol now? Or are you, because you'll have to, how do you even check how. How much carbohydrates are in that or anything like that?
1: The internet is your best friend. Oh, gosh. Um, okay. So this is another thing. There are people campaigning for these things to be put on on labels, uh, especially alcohol. Uh, Prosecco is probably my tickle of choice because that doesn't really have any... Carb- like, it doesn't have negligible carbohydrates for me to have to worry about. Um, however, I do have to make sure that I eat before I go to sleep Because any alcohol will drop my blood sugar during the night.
0: Okay. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, just so I can like fully paint a picture of like your life now with like type Mm -hmm. one and having like um, disordered eating and everything like that, what would a typical day look like for you if like a normal day?
1: Uh, So I wake up, check my blood sugar. on my pump because I've got i I've got a guardian sensor for, which is inserted into my arm that checks my blood sugar for me. So I'll be able to see the reading on my pump. As long as that is good and I'm at a safe level, um, you know, I'll kind of get up, get ready, uh, breakfast. I'll usually have like a coffee, like a black coffee. I don't really put because it means milk. I have to count the carbs in the milk. Um, so I do, I do drink black coffee now generally. Um, and then I might have maybe like a couple of boiled eggs or like I try not to eat carbs in the morning um because if I'm rushing about or I need to get to work quickly I don't want to risk dropping my blood sugar throughout like through that morning if I've got a lot of stuff to get on with um and then Lunch time, I usually make my own lunch to take to work because it's easy. I know exactly how many carbs are in that meal. Um, I do a lot of meal prep and I'll so say I'll like I'll do a lot of my cooking on a Sunday um and then I'll kind of weigh, I'll weigh everything and write the carbohydrates and the protein and stuff on the box so I can that takes the stress out of the worrying about counting throughout throughout the day for me then. Um but yeah, it is it's a lot of everything is numbers, food is is numbers rather than food now did, um
0: did you not have disordered eating before you were diagnosed with your eating like habit um patterns and habits completely normal
1: oh yeah completely like the i if someone had said to me that like i was gonna have an eating disorder in the future i would have laughed like not laughing at the eating disorder but like i love food yeah always love food i love cooking i love eating out i love takeaways uh food festivals that kind of thing and then all of a sudden having this diagnosis was well if you don't count everything you eat and you don't take the right insulin for it you're going to be really poorly um and insulin also makes you put on a lot of weight initially so i put on all of the weight that i'd lost and then some so all of a sudden my body image had changed the way i saw myself changed my health had changed i was suddenly like reliant on this, on insulin, on a, you know, I was relying on something that I had to do for myself, and it was like you have to count. There's no way around it because if you don't count your food properly, you're either at a risk of hyperglycemia, which is where your blood sugar goes too high, or you take too much insulin for the piece of food you're eating, and you've got low blood sugar, which then means you need to eat more. Um, and you just it got to the point where I was like, I'm sick of eating. Like, I'm sick of it. Mind. I'm sick of looking at food. Like I don't, I I don't want to eat anything, which
0: would be really dangerous for you. And then you're just yeah. in like a cycle of I don't want to eat anymore because I don't want to count anymore. But you have to do it because you'll die, which is goes back to earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like eating is is like you have to you do obviously with the pump. It is a little bit different now. Like if I don't fancy eating, my pump will adjust you know in the background and stuff but before um you know like I'd have to force myself to eat because I was low and or I, I'd, I'd be at risk of passing out and when it when you have to force yourself to eat it's just um it's just it's, I can't explain it like it's not like be yeah make it like having to make yourself eat something you don't want to eat is just it's just not nice and then There's also other stuff that comes with disordered eating where I would find myself avoiding eating. So I didn't have to take any insulin because the less insulin I take, the more weight I lose. So it became a thing of like, I want to get my body back. I want to get my diabetes body back, like pre-diabetes. And I want to be at the, the weight I was to play roller derby better. So I stopped taking my insulin because and then so the higher your blood sugar is the more ketones you have and the more ketones you have you burn fat so you would lose weight um so I'd do that and then but then I'd be really poorly because I would have really high blood sugar and I'd feel sick all the time and then sometimes it'd be too nauseous to play roller derby which so it kind of counteracted the, the what I was trying to do um and then it became or I would binge eat because I was so scared of going low that I would eat as much as i possibly could and then not count the insulin properly for it um so it just kind of went in swings and and then it got to a point where i was only eating like one meal a day um but yeah it was just like and then that becomes disordered eating so it's, it's called tide um which is it is something that's slowly being recognized more and more by the nhs and by other people
0: is tired just associated with type like diabetes and things like that.
1: Yeah, so it's type one disordered eating.
0: Okay, I've never um, heard that before. I might put that yeah. in the title, like
1: disordered yeah.
0: eating, because I think yeah, it'll be good to raise some awareness about that. Actually, yeah, definitely. It's just crazy, and are, do you know many people now who have type one diabetes?
1: uh I mainly online. Um, I am currently in a project, working on a project with um, Rachel Humphreys, who's the Type 1 lead for Wales. Um, so I, I'm I'm in a group with other members uh, who have Type 1 disordered eating. and I think that's the first time I've been in a room with other people who are Type 1 and also have disordered eating. Um, so it's been really great to connect with other people and, and you kind of realise, oh, my God, it's not just me. Like, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. Um, you, you may have some people may have heard of diabulimia so diabulimia is like the more recognized uh eating disorder that comes with diabetes and that's where you withhold your insulin um to lose weight basically so you still you can still eat um or you eat and then purge oh, so yeah. um but then still not taking any insulin for it so and that becomes quite dangerous, but a lot of people think eating disorders and thin people,
0: yeah, I think that's something that I've like learned with age, like when I was younger, I thought eating disorder was you know you had to be like super duper thin and like you know be on the brink of death sort of thing when actually eating disorders is just disordered eating, like if you're not having like regular meals a day and if you have a bad relationship with food or if you're withholding something or anything like that you have an eating disorder like weight it, it's completely separate yeah. like, that's yeah. a completely separate problem like what you have that's an eating disorder and what i had when yeah. i was about 15 that was an eating disorder like you know there's no denying it and it's like shocking how many people online that i'm like um recognizing now have eds like it's completely crazy how many people have this negative relationship with food and like i can't imagine what it must have been like for you when you had to go from like living your not not your best life because you were really ill for about two weeks but like living like a really regular sort of life and then it just flipping in
1: seconds like that's that's really hard i think that it it kind of went from like one day i was cooking whatever i wanted and being like yeah i'm gonna like eat a chinese or uh i'm gonna have a cookie or a slice of cake and now i'm like can i eat that because or do i have the tools to tell me how much is in that piece of food for me to be able to eat it so i think that's what a lot of people don't we and that's why like so sometimes like i'll make sure i look at the menu and stuff before i go for dinner or um i'll look up online like and there's a book called carbs and cows as well that you could they give to people who are first diagnosed and that has like the weight of of a lot of food in it that you're going to eat every day um but yeah and you do kind of like because you have to count everything you're just like is it worth me eating this piece of food yeah is, it's it kind of sucks the fun out of eating and for somebody who loves food did love food i've been slowly rebuilding my relationship around food and cooking but which is is good and like i've got a really good support network for that um mainly based in roland derby and to be fair and yeah so and, and having people who understand like everybody i'm on the scheme with with channel 4 is absolutely amazing um i don't ever feel like i can't eat in front of them um because i they don't question me counting my food or they'll see me on my phone bef- just before I'm about to eat or, you know, I'm trying to like navigate how much that weighs or like they'll see me like lifting food up with my hands and stuff. And like, but, you know, they don't quite, people don't question it. And I think that's that's great. Like that acceptance of that, it's just Mal, that's what, what you gotta do. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is like, you know, we don't question it, but at the same time, you're not afraid to answer questions. Like you're, you're really happy to educate us all and you know that like being on this podcast you're educating so many people like you have no shame in your diagnosis which you know more people should raise awareness and talk about what they're going through because a lot of people are going through it and um yeah yeah, it's just mel yeah what advice would you give yourself if you were going through the process again
1: don't be afraid to ask for help i think that's the biggest one or say to people look i'm i'm, I'm struggling with food today um or you know can you help me count this or do i is there anywhere i can get the nutritional information so, like don't be scared to ask for the nutritional information when you go to places um because that is part of the stigma I think of like, oh, God, I'm going to have to ask what what's in this. Um, and like, if you have an allergy, you there'd be no question. Like, if you're allergic to peanuts, you'd have no, you'd just be like, no, I can't eat that. That might have peanuts in it. But so equally, yeah, just don't be scared to say like, look, I, I need, to, it's for, I'm looking after myself and I need to see how much this weighs or what is contained within this food so just be less be kinder to yourself I think that's probably the biggest advice be kinder to yourself and like every day is a learning process um and that people with a working pancreas don't have flat lines so people with a working pancreas will not have stable blood sugar throughout the day so like people with, with diabetes shouldn't either um so I think yeah like just be kind to yourself and like you know just because your pancreas doesn't work doesn't mean that it needs to be perfect because people with a working pancreas their pancreas doesn't work perfectly either so yeah
0: (laughs) I think that's really really good advice and I'm so glad that you've actually been on my podcast and you've opened my eyes up to how life can change in like a matter of minutes days seconds what have you and yeah, thank you so much, Mel. And good luck with your project that you're doing with... Um... Oh, thank you. Is it for the Welsh Gov? Uh,
1: yeah, so it's for uh, NHS Wales. I'm not... I think it will be NHS England as well, but I know that my project is specifically focused in Wales at the moment. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to be... There should be some short films coming out soon. Um, so, yeah, I'll be able to update you as soon as we finish filming and, um, and yeah, and, like doing some like good good raising awareness of type 1 disordered eating Definitely. um
0: oh, well, yeah that's so great when you've got the link and when everything's mm-hmm. all sort of done send it my way and I'll pop it in the description box um as Amazing. well as like everything else so thank you Mal, for being on the podcast thank you to my listeners and I'll catch you guys in the next one Bye, for having me.
1: <laughs> bye